Today's episode is brought to you by Rosarium Publishing. Are you into Afrofuturism? Maybe Rastafarian sci-fi? Latino speculative lit? How about Southeast Asian steampunk? The Mormon apocalypse? If you like a little diversity with your storylines, check out Rosarium Publishing. The award-winning Black-owned publisher is the force behind Dayblack, Kid Code, Malice in Ovenland, Wally Fresh, and many more titles. Check them out online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Comixology, Peep Game Comics, and of course at Rosarium.com. Rosarium Publishing. Introducing the world to itself. Hi, this is Liz Femi. I'm an actress co-starring on Send Me, an original web series, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Hey, this is Steve Harper, creator of Send Me, an original web series, and you're listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. This is Ben Jones with Yes We Code. You are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. What's up, y'all? This is Amanda Seals, comedian, writer, and creator of Get Your Life. And you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. Khaleesi! of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This is episode 64 titled Effie Brown and Black Nerd Comedy. Two segments. Our first segment is with famed Hollywood producer Effie Brown. She's done films such as Dear White People, Real Women Have Curves, she's currently the executive vice president of Lee Daniels Entertainment and most notably known for her appearance on the HBO series Project Greenlight, which got a lot of attention on Twitter. You might have seen the clip that happened between her and Matt Damon, where he Damon-splained her. We'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, I bring up the question to her about what happened during that incident where Matt Damon explained to a black woman what diversity actually means. And so we, we go into that discussion in that first interview segment with Evie Brown. In our second segment, we interview Andre Meadows of Black Nerd Comedy. If you have not heard Black Nerd Comedy, it is a YouTube channel that he had started many, many years ago. He's actually one of the first people that I have seen use the term black nerd out here in these digital streets and owning his nerdiness and and his blackness. I wanted to have an opportunity to finally sit down and chat with him and pick his brain 
because he's built a brand over the years with Black Nerd Comedy. And Andre Meadows was so much fun to talk to. I have so much in common with him because he's an 80s geek. He loves talking about gremlins and the chipmunks. And you see that clearly from watching his videos on YouTube if you haven't already. So I sit down and talk to him about how he started his YouTube channel, where he's going with the YouTube channel, how he's been able to get great sponsors like Regal Cinemas and the fact that he gets to travel all over the country. Uh, so we, we go into a lot of great discussions with the conversations that we've had with, with Andre Meadows. The first segment with Effie Brown is co-hosted by Joelle, Lauren, and Connie. And our second segment with Andre Meadows is co-hosted by Kayla and Joy. I hope you really have a great time listening to this episode. Both of these guests were incredibly funny. I had a blast interviewing both of them. I could not stop laughing to the point where my lungs were hurting, my sides were hurting. So I think you're going to have the same kind of response that I had. So be prepared to have a really good time listening in. And hopefully you also get a lot of insight and information from this podcast. We always want to entertain you, but we also want them to be very informative podcasts. So sit back, relax, and if you're listening in and working out, hopefully you get really good adrenaline rush. And if you're on the commute home, then hopefully while you're sitting in traffic, you're able to pacify the time by just listening in and having a really good laugh on that commute home. Enjoy this really great, fun, entertaining episode of BGN number 64, Effie Brown and Black Nerd Comedy with Andre Meadows. Coming right at you. Effie Brown is a film and television producer. Known for such film and TV series such as Rocket Science, In the Cut, Real Women Have Curves, Things You Can Tell Just By Looking At Her, Everyday People, Desert Blue, Dear White People, and But I'm a Cheerleader. She's appeared on the fourth season of Project Greenlight as a producer and that season's film project, The Leisure Class. She's currently the Executive Vice President of Production at Lee Daniels Entertainment. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are a big film geek, if you're a fan of films like Dear White People and Real Women Have Curves, then this is definitely the segment for you. We have producer Effie Brown here to talk to us about her career and talk about all things that's happening in the film industry and diversity in media and i'm also joined here with our lovely co-hosts lauren joelle and connie thank you so much effie for coming on the black girl nerds podcast thank you i'm really excited to be here i've been following you guys for a while so i feel like i'm finally i finally made it now that i'm in i feel like it so thank you it's great <laughs> Thank you. I want to start off by just fangirling over the work that you've done over the years. Two films of yours in particular are near and dear to my heart that you produced. I, I love Dear White People. And another film that you had done that was done in the late 90s called But I'm a Cheerleader. 
I love that movie. One, Thank you. <laughs> it's still one of my favorite movies I've ever done. And I and I was just the line producer, not just. I was the line producer on that. And there's a woman named Andrea Sperling that was the producer, and that was one of my first jobs I ever got. That's awesome. So, so how did you get started in producing movies? You know, by realizing that I'm a control freak. Out <laughs> 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 of my own come to Jesus and realized that, like, huh, that coupled with me being an Army brat, it was literally out of college that I realized that I think I was much better at putting things together and putting people together to actualize one goal. And um, I joined, my, my real steps are... I got an internship by calling the Black Business Bureau, and this is way back in the day. I don't even know if it's still around, and I, I got my first internship that way. And then I joined a program called Project Involve from Film Independent, and they were the ones that sort of nurtured me and mentored me with a woman named Lori Parker. So by joining Film Independent, I was joined up with a woman named Lori Parker, and that's how I got to um, be an executive producer on a Jane Campion film called In the Cut. I yeah. also got to be the director of development for Tim Burton. Yes! <laughs> uh, you know, and that sort of, she was the one that actually sort of got me on my way by mentoring. So that was sort of my, my steps. And then being a, you know, a control freak and also being, and I'm just going to say it, you know, being a woman, we're really, I think one of our strengths is that we're really great at multitasking and then also knowing how to spend a dollar, you know, and how to make that dollar stretch, you know? And so it was a natural fit for me to become a line producer, which is somebody that handles the money, the budget, like making the budget, hiring the crew and executing the creative vision within the line items. I know that's sort of boring talk, but but that's sort of like I became the money lady because I could get things done for a price. And that's how I started out on it was a film with Terrence Howard back in the day called Spark and uh, with Nicole Ari Parker. That was one of my first uh, line producing gigs. And then I think my second one was But I'm a Cheerleader. And I loved that movie. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And then from there, I, uh, you know, started getting known for. If you don't have enough money to make a movie, call Effie. <laughs> it was one of those, and I was like, oh, for the love of. And then I eventually worked my way up with a woman named Maud Nadler at HBO. And that's where I did a film with Cheryl Dunier. She's a sister. Yes. Called a Stranger Inside. And then I did Real Women Have Curves and then Rocket Science and Everyday People. And this started working my way, you know, working my way through the system. That was a long-winded answer, girl. Long-winded. <laughs> you know, my interest has peaked, and I'm so intrigued. Speaking of HBO, I, I would be remiss if I did not bring up the interaction that you had with Matt Damon during the what? project. What was that? <laughs> 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 sound in the headphones. Um, the call just dropped all of a sudden. Poor Matt Damon. He's been, like, dragged. <laughs> he, he really has. But... What he did to you, explaining to a black woman what diversity is, a.k.a. Damon's blaming, it's something that I find that's happening a lot. Do you find that that is something that's common in Hollywood, or was this a unique situation that brewed between the two of you? No, I don't think it was a unique situation. And, you know, and we've talked about it 
you know, quite a bit, but it's great talking about it on Black Girl Nerds, you know what I mean? Just because, like, it's kind of like a Tuesday for us. I mean, how many times have you had to... I mean, it's true. I mean, it's unfortunate, but, like, how many times have you gone into a room and explained your position, and then you're like, ugh, and you can't get angry, Mm -hmm. and you can't, because otherwise you're the angry black woman, you know, or you're emotional, you know what I mean? Then nobody listens to you, you know what I mean? And I have lipstick on my teeth. Um, doesn't matter. Um, like nobody, you know, and I just, I know it's audio, but it still matters to me that I have lipstick on my teeth. I'm still a lady, but it was just interesting of, you know, it was like a Tuesday, you know, you can't get upset. You can't get angry and you have to calmly explain your position. And that's something that I often find in Hollywood, especially when I was coming up was something that I had to do a lot. Like I got a lot of practice. I mean, I really do think, you know, and I, I take spirit to heart, you know, if I would have had that moment when I first started doing like, but I'm a cheerleader or stranger inside, like earlier in my career, I would not have been that pulled together. You know, this is taken, you know, I'm a grown woman, you know what I mean? Like I'm grown, um, (laughs) You know, and then and having that experience where people, you know, and it's just, you know, he's, you know, a lot of times in a room, people feel that, you know, they can explain something to you and you're and then you realize like, wow, they really have no idea what they're saying. Or what's even better is you watch their eyes as they're talking and then halfway through you know that their inner monologue is shut up, just shut up, just stop talking, stop talking. <laughs> but you know that they can't stop talking. Do you know what I mean? And I see that a lot too. I just feel sort of sorry where I was like, you just gave me all the ammunition I need, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. So Effie, from one military brat to another, former military brat to another, I wondered if your experiences around the military and as a military brat have given you like a unique set of skills for working with as a producer and in the film industry in general. I do. And I know my father will totally, who was like, he was the person in the military. My dad would be like, really? Because my father, he's like, stop telling your military brat because he retired right after I was born. But anybody knows that like, if you, have a parent that was a career military, even after they retire, you're still raised that way. You're still raised on a schedule. I still remember, and I love him with all my heart. You know, my parents are still together. Do you know what I mean? So like, it's like whenever I go back home to Pensacola, you know, you hear like rise and shine knocking on the door, you know what I mean? (laughs) Or, you know, or even like, you know, cleaning your room and, getting it again, recon, like you know, the, all the phrases. So yes. And I do feel that what has happened is um, I'm grateful for it because it taught me one, a chain of command, which I think is really important as a producer when you're building a team and you have to have a chain of command of like this is in a mission. And if you don't have those things, it's mayhem. Like I'm definitely, I mean, there's other ways for people to produce, but I find that, when you don't have a lot of time or a lot of money, you better be hyper organized. And in my opinion, there's nothing more organized than like the army. <laughs> so I, I, I thank them for my skills. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say are some of the key qualities of being a successful producer? The 
qualities for being a successful producer. Yes. It's funny. Like, once again, I guess I'm pretty reflective today for some reason. I think, you know, when you're starting out, like when I talk to people who are about to start out, like, what do I need to do? Like, what should I have? You know, and I really have to say, you better have a mission. You better have like, you know, the courage of your conviction. And I know it sounds very pat and thematic, but it's hard out here. It's hard for anybody. Nobody has it great here. It's a very competitive. And if you don't know why you're in the business, then forget about it. You know, I was very clear in I wanted to educate as I entertain. I wanted to see black women in particular you know, be thriller, action, sci-fi, horror. I wanted to see them be superheroes. I want, you know what I mean? I want, I want to have my, you know what I mean? I was very clear in like what I wanted to do and what I wanted to see. And if some people I see, they're like, I just want to make a lot of money. And I was like, God, go with God. Like, like, tell me how that works out for you because it's not that type of, you know, it's hard, you know, and you have to, you know, so anyway, so the courage of your conviction is one, two, it would be good to have good taste mm-hmm. or to yes. know what moves yes. you. And then to know that like, and, and what moves you doesn't necessarily have to be what moves everybody because mm-hmm. now in this digital space, you can find your tribe. You know, mm-hmm. there are a group of people out there that will be like, yes, I want to watch that. Or yeah. You know, that, so anyway, so just, you know, have good taste and be clear on what you like, but mm-hmm. also, you know, just on real skills, you need to know how to budget. You need to know how to schedule and you need to know how to break down a script. You need to know the basic tools for your medium. And you also need to get experience as best you can, how you can. And it's best. I mean, for myself, I'm grateful that I started from the bottom up and everybody knows, like I started as a PA. And I worked my way up coordinating to production management, to line producing, to producing, you know, and it's from knowing the ground up of how a movie is made makes me, I feel, I feel it makes me more efficient in executing the creative vision. Oh, I can listen to you talk all day. I'm like, and then girl, (laughs) a lot of what you said just really ties into um, my first question is that, when the industry is really discouraging and you just said that it's really competitive for everyone, how do you remain inspired to keep going in this industry? Cause I mean, I feel like with your same skills, you could do anything else, but you choose to remain mm-hmm. in Hollywood producing and what inspires you to keep the hum as Shonda Rhimes said in a recent Ted talk that I'm obsessed with. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, I mean, I don't talk about this often, but I think it's really important you know, right now I, I feel glossy, right? Like everything is sort of going my way, right? In a way, you know, like I just, you know, you finished Project Greenlight. I'm working with Lee Daniels. I finished Dear White People, you know, but there was a time like you never know who you are in the good times. You know who you are in the bad times. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, before Dear White People, like I couldn't get arrested practically. Every project that I had like fell through my fingers. Do you know what I mean? Like I was broke. I was sort of like, oh no, am I got to move out of my house. I'm looking outside my window to see if the repo man is going to take my car. You know what I mean? So like just yeah. to be real about it, that, that shit happens. You know what I mean? It was like, well, and I had those moments of like, well, what else do you want to do? What else can you do? And I have to tell you what got me inspired. And I wasn't kidding where I really had to go to God. 
And I know there might be some people who are atheists who don't believe in God or whatever and like more power to you. But I had that moment where I had to connect to the bigger picture. And what's saying what's keeping me inspired was going back to my purpose and being that like, I know I would not be put here to do this and not be able to get it done. I feel Mm -hmm. like when I was going through that bad time, and I think about that time often where I was like, you know what it made? It's like Fight Club. Remember Fight Club? When you were like, I am not Jack's bank account. I am not Jack's. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Like you would do all that. Like I am not, you know, and I had to, and I had that same moment. Like I had to be torn down and I was like, I'm not my bank account. I am not my last credit on a movie. I am Mm -hmm. not what the trades say I am. I am who I say I am, you know, Mm -hmm. my purpose. So that's what kept me inspired you know, and it wasn't like this project saved my life. I had to get in touch with the bigger picture, which was, which is why I go to people and I say, if I had a half-assed mission or a half-assed um, manifesto, my own personal manifesto, it's like I just want to get rich, or I want to like be famous, or I want to, you know, I don't think I would have made it. That's when people pack up their bags and leave. Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that's yeah. when it's like it's have enough to hold on then like that's when you get gone and I'm grateful that I was able to connect and be like oh I'm here because I feel I'm supposed to do this mm. wow so inspiring so no. <laughs> I let people know like sometimes you get broke in this business <laughs> <laughs> that's true you better have a good savings plan <laughs> <laughs> I don't like how to buy, like, you know, make a meal, like, out of Taco Bell for a week out of $5. That's what you yeah. Right? <laughs> there goes that budgeting again, right? <laughs> Here you go. Um, we recently got to talk to um, Lexi Alexander, and both of you are sort of, uh, you're both really well known for being very outspoken about diversity and all the issues with women and all the representation issues. And what she was saying is that it was really difficult for some people, you know, some people won't hire her or won't speak about her because she's so outspoken. But reversely, she's found that people have reached out to her because she is, you know, an advocate for for women and for people of color. Have you found similar situations, especially since the whole Project Greenlight thing? (laughs) Well, I mean, that was deep. That was really deep. And I, I understand what Lexi was going through because there was a time where my friends who are also in the business were like, yo, we didn't know how that program was going to end. I mean, there was definitely a time during Project Greenlight where, you know, if black Twitter, <laughs> if they, you know, if black Twitter didn't come out and like hold me up high, it could have gone a whole other oh, yeah, we way. there. Yeah. Do you know, I appreciate that, you know, but, but I talk, it's real because people were like, you know, people were like, yo, are you going to be able to work again? Because they're picturing you as difficult, as confrontational. They're picturing you as, you know, like, this is like, you're like really not working for the director. People didn't even know what my job title was. Like people who were on the show were like, oh, she's a line producer. And I'm like, I haven't line produced in like 10 years, but thank you. It's actually my company and I'm the producer. But it's interesting how they were going to, they were in their mind's eye to demote me. Uh You know what I mean? Like that, but that became really, and, and also people who were like, you were there, you saw the crew list. Like, you know that they're like, what are you, how are you calling? You know, it's, it was really, it's really intense. And I was really worried for a while that I would probably, I saved up a little money and I knew that I probably would have to wait it out six months. Like that was my plan of like, 
because hopefully people have short memories. And then <laughs> no short memories, child, because everything blew up. Oscar is so white. There was like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and then, you know, it was like everything was, you know, the hot topic. And I was like, oh, shit. I'm never going to work out. Because people are always bringing up like Effie Brown and Matt Damon, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that man is about to get an Oscar nomination. And he is, you know, like, he's not going to want to work with me or tell, tell people not to work with me or whatever. But of course, he's not thinking about me at all. <laughs> but what I'm grateful for is that there were, there were some people that came out. Like, I mean, I'm really grateful that after this, I didn't have to wait six months and I landed on my feet over here at Lee Daniels Entertainment, which is the best. Like I'm actually being able to, like, it's the best. Like it was like I, what I was so nervous about, like I actually got a blessing where I'm able to fund, you know, put people through an inclusive television development fund so I can actually, you know, make TV shows, you know, actually him make TV shows, <laughs> you know, feature women of color, like thriller, action, sci-fi, horror, like, you know, doing the movies that I want to do and having someone behind me, who's a big dog, big dog. Like nobody's messing with me, Daniels, honey. Do you know what I mean? I'm right. Like, yeah. I'm more than happy to go underneath the umbrella of Mr. Lee Daniels. So it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. So, and I'm grateful for that. Cause like, so something did come out of that and I knew Lee from before, but if it weren't for all that controversy with project green light and I think me standing my ground and not and forget yeah. the whole, like the first episode, like that was sort of like clickbait a little bit, you know, <laughs> but people who watched the entire season saw that that stuff was systematic. Mm, do you right. know what I mean? People yep, saw that like, and I don't think it had much to do honest, honestly it had much to do with race. I think it had to do with gender mm-hmm. and that's a bigger, and that to me is a, was what was sort of more shocking to me of to be like, Oh, you guys, you know, People think they're really liberal, but mm. they still have male-female dynamic. Like, there's still some real gender issues. So I'm grateful that Lee saw me standing my ground and being consistent. And I think that definitely helped me, you know, land this job. That's so amazing. So- Continuing on the thread of you being at Lee Daniels Entertainment, I was wondering, what are you looking for in projects and creators now that you're the VP of production there? I'm the EVP. Thank you very much. Oh, all right. <laughs> I fought hard for that time. <laughs> I worked for that E woman. It's <laughs> new to me because I'm not classy about it yet. You can totally tell. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> what I'm looking for. So, what we're looking for, like, this is my my dream. I want. I'm desperate to find content. That is thriller, action, sci-fi, horror, sci-fi, 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 horror, you know, that feature people of color and being, and I'm just saying of color. I think the world is so much bigger than black and white. Do you know what I mean? And there's so many beautiful biracial, like, bring it, baby, bring it. That's what I'm looking for. And what I love, I'm able to, what I love about being here, I'm able to go everywhere. I'm able to go to the digital space. I'm able to look at digital creators and be like, what do you have? And that's one of the reasons why I also like no joke, why I also got hired is because I know all those indie filmmakers. I know all those people that are on the come up that, you know, I have a direct line to them. You know what I mean? Because I've been in that world for so long, but I'm looking for people that are like, you know what? I've never seen it before, but like, 
here's a female werewolf sort of story. What? You know what I mean? Like, give me that. There's no reason why we can't have, and I'm a big admirer of Jason Blumhouse, big admirer, but there's no reason why we can't have that. No reason. And, you know, featuring more people of color and women. No reason. And that's, so that's what we're building. Yes. More of that, all of that. I saw Mirna Year speak maybe two or three years ago, and she was talking about how a lot of women in film that she knows got into it much later and for very different reasons than their male counterparts. And you talked a little bit about, you know, why you entered film, but I'm wondering kind of what made you enter film. Was there a particular movie? Um, was there something about cinema in yeah. general? I really do feel like I've been like, there's a, there's a great, that the blues brothers back in the day, you guys might be a little too young for it, but they're at this thing. Like I'm on a mission from God. It was yeah. Dan. Oh yeah. And Bushy, you know what I mean? And like, I'm on a mission from God, you know? And I love that. And I remember, you know, and that's sort of weirdly, I don't think I'm on a mission. From, I don't think God's like really like, you know, really someone to do, but like, <laughs> I think I do feel that I'm called to, you know, to be in film. And I remember it because, you know, alien, was the bat like I remember watching Alien and I tell people this and being like it was a woman in charge, right? It was on she was actually right. She got overridden <laughs> by her boss. Remember that? Her boss the guy. Yeah. If they listened to her <laughs> if they listened to her, none of that would have happened. Remember? And then remember and then they like usurped her, right? I love the fact that it was multicultural. I love the fact that the black guy got to live to the end. To the bitter, bitter end. <laughs> No, but it's deep. But think, I mean, I was yeah. a kid watching yeah. it. Thinking, Harry Dean Stanton and Yafit Koto, they were best friends. Do you remember that? They were best yeah. friends and they, and it was heartbreaking. And you, and that was like the sort of like the love story, but kind of like where you're like, Oh my God, like the friendships are broken up. And anyway, and I loved it. And I knew that that's like what I wanted to do. And I was like, I, it's an ensemble and people coming together against one foe. I loved the Terminator. No lie. Like, you can totally tell, like, why I like the movies that I like. Oh, because there was a woman. Remember Sarah? I wanted to be like Sarah Connor. Like, even though she came from humble beginnings, right? She could be the mother of the free world, right? The mm-hmm. mother of the revolution, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, those were the movies that I saw that I was like, that made me as a woman feel like I can do anything. I can go through any sort of obstacle, and I can rock it. You know what I mean? And, and I knew that film moved me to action. Film moved me to action. You know, and later on, like seeing The Breakfast Club, and I loved John Hughes, even though like some of his films were really racist. But I loved <laughs> the candles, like with Long Duck Dong, like that shit was crazy. Yeah, like, the Asian crazy. stereotypes, yeah. Like it's horrible. Do you know what I mean? And now looking back, I think I'm like a grown woman and being like, ooh, I shouldn't like that anymore. But now I go to Breakfast Club and I go, like, I remember that being people from disparate groups all coming together. And after leaving that movie, like I was friendly with the jocks. I was friendly with the socias. I was friendly. Do you know what I mean? Like, and then I was like, if we could do that with a film, we could definitely do that with a film about my community. You know what I mean? So like mm-hmm. that's, so those were the things and I always knew that that was, you know, I wanted to do film. And then also it was in reaction to, and this is where I might not be so popular. So you might be prepared to cut this out, but I remember watching a lot of TV and then not seeing myself in Gilligan's Island or Three's Company or seeing us being portrayed. And I loved, you know, Robert Guillaume. Remember in Benson? Benson. Oh, yeah, Benson. Oh, yeah. Remember Nell Carter? She was a maid. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's always what we were. 
And then you had this sort of jive talking. And I love the Jeffersons, but you were sort of like, you know, that wasn't necessarily my experience. And good times, I thought it was great, but I didn't know anybody like that or like, I don't know that. Like, I was like, my mother would punch me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And I know how people feel about the Cosby show now. But I will tell you, that's the only show that we had that reflected my experience. And that came when I was a teenager and getting ready to go to college, I think. Do you know what I mean? So all that time growing up, I didn't have any place to be. Like, I didn't see myself reflected anywhere, practically. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, we right. just didn't, like, and a young black girl, forget about it. Like, maybe what's happening now, but, like, I wasn't D and sure. Anyway, I can tell I watch a lot of TV. So, anyway. You're in the right company. You're in the yep. right company. They're all familiar You're home. All right? very familiar titles. That Thing. Like, I'm just trying to think of, like, there was nothing that I could, like, I always had, like, 90210, remember that? There yes. was no black girl. Yeah. I'm a fighter. You know what I mean? I've always grew up fighting. Like, I, you know, it's my, some other issues. I'm in therapy. It's fine. But, like, I always grew up, like, being, like, the, like, a, like, you know, like a very angry kid. And then, and part of that was I was so tired of having to, like, put myself in their shoes. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's right. it like to be like about 90210 or, like, what's going on with the Waltons and John, you know what I mean? Like all of that. Like I always had to like take myself out and put myself in, but none of them ever had the balls or wanted to or showed anything where they had to be like to show someone that looked like me because like I wasn't the majority apparently, or I wasn't, I interpreted it as I was not the majority. I was not important enough. I was not like people aren't interested in what, people like me or girls like me had to say. And that made me furious. Hence Alien, Terminator, you know, Near Dark, like all of those movies that I would go and find that showed, you know, women being in action. Wow. I'm having, I guess, a slight, oh my God moment, because for me, (laughs) it's funny you say Alien and Terminator. For me, it was Aliens and Terminator 2. Because I'm um, older than you, that's why. <laughs> my, my first attempt to write a script was when I was 13 and Terminator 2 had just come out. And I said, ooh, I'm going to write Terminator 3. And I hand wrote that sucker for about a good three months until we got a computer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I called myself, yep, I'm going to look up how to get in contact with, what's his name, James Cameron? Yep, I'm going to get a job. And my mom was like, you know what? How about you just type it on the computer and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, I was just sort of freaking out because it's like, wow, it's it, and it's for those very reasons. Sarah was a warrior. Ripley was a, roar, a warrior. Yeah. Ripley was in charge. Ripley made it until the end. And of course, being a little girl, seeing that power loader did something to me. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I loved. It I always. wanted to tackle <laughs> second grade with the power loader for sure when I went back to school. That was my thing. <laughs> Like, that's the stuff that people don't realize it's so, and I love, remember Vasquez? Remember yeah. Vasquez? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And anyone mistake you, you know, mistake you for a man? No. Anyone mistake you for a man? Like, I was like, <laughs> she was so badass. I loved her. I loved all of that. And then she was also in Near Dark, and she's like a classically trained English actress. Anyway, that's the word mystery. Anyhow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just had to fangirl over that for a second. Sorry, because it's rare to hear no, that. I love you. I love that. It makes me feel not alone, so I appreciate it. <laughs> so how can content creators, especially those who are in marginalized groups, 
set themselves up for success in this current climate, given all the mediums available? What can they do to set themselves apart from the crowd and ensure success? First of all, to ensure their own success, to do something that they are passionate about, not something that they think will sell or there's a market for, but something that they are passionate about. And by that meaning, I think that they need to create. If you want to be a director, you need to direct it. You know what I mean? Direct it. Everybody has an iPhone or Samsung or something. Go, go and direct something. Um, I also feel that if you want to write something, then you need to get to writing. You can't be a writer if you're not doing something every day, if you're not writing every day. Right. You know, I also feel that, you know, and to produce, I think that's the best because then you're able to help the director and the writer actualize what they want to do. And then you have co-partnership and collaborating on that material. I think the digital space is where a lot of people need to look at. It's a bit of the wild, wild west. And people who are really on the cusp need to start looking at that VR and AR world. That's what, and start looking at things in a multiverse sort of world. Like I think that, you know, and granted I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little older, but people are just like, oh, a TV show is A to B, a film is A to B. But people need to start thinking about stuff like in sort of like a 3D multidimensional format of like, well, what's the book? How does the book feed into the web series? How does a web series feed into the live event? How does a live event feed into the television show? How does a television show feed into the VR experience? How does that fit into the film? Like, if I want to go into your world, I want to go into your world and experience it every kind of way. I think that the younger generation or the people who are on the come up, they don't know any better. So they don't have our you know, our shackles, do you know what I mean? Of like conventional yeah. thinking. Yeah. I think they need to sort of lean into that, you know? And I think that that digital space is a great cheap space to start in. And also, sorry, I'm long winded, but I think that people really need to get their social media game together because mm-hmm. what I'm finding is that like you are your brand. Mm-hmm. You, there's <laughs> only one of you. You are your brand who follows you. Who are you about? What are you following? What are you interested in? How are you building your audience? Are you connecting with your audience? Is you finding the people that are passionate about the same things that you are? You know, is there somebody is like that you can partner with? You know what I'm saying? Like, and you find those people through your, you know, I call them like the worlds that you're in right now. Like, that's how I will be real I'm embarrassed, but like, when I started getting on Twitter, like I remember finding you guys because I was like, I've always been a black girl nerd. Like, there's nerd. Wait, what? You're in there? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it made me feel so great. Like Afrofuturism, that's huge to me. I really thought, like, and it's also like I'm working with a woman named Tanana Reeve Do, yeah, um, who's really oh, yes. a friend of the show. And Stephen Barnes, you know, like yeah. we're working together. Like, find, like I, I found them on Twitter. And we, I didn't, my producing partner, Glendon Palmer did, but finding them on Twitter and, you know, making relationships. And now we're working together like that to me. That's how you can set yourself up for success. That's my, in my opinion. Wow. That is awesome. I'm excited for that. I could listen to you forever. I'm serious. I am in awe of this conversation. Too bad this isn't like lunch and brunch. I I don't think I've ever asked this of a guest before, but would you come back in the future? 
to our show. Oh, to- I come back in the feel like in a real, like in a movie. I'm sorry. Like, when I come back- <laughs> <laughs> On our show. I'm like, I don't know, have you seen me in the future? Am I stunning? <laughs> a hot boyfriend? What happens? <laughs> I would love to. I would be honored. I would love, love, love to. Awesome. For sure. Thank you so much. Can you also just give our listeners your social media shout outs and where we can find you on the interwebs? Sure thing. So I'm at www.dulynotedinc.com. My Twitter handle is at dulynotedinc. And my Instagram is I am furious black. That's how you can, I know. I, <laughs> I know. love it. I love it too. I love it. So that's my, and I know I owe that to my name, Colleen Cullen, who, um, who wrote a script and I have furious black was the name of her superhero. And I thought that was the best name ever. That yeah. is. I love it. Furious black, right? Isn't it that? <laughs> I know. Let's bring it back. Bring it back. Thank you, Effie, so much for coming on our show. Thank you, guys. And I'm waving to you. I know it's audio, but like, just so you know that you love it. <laughs> Andre Meadows is an actor and a comedian. He has a YouTube channel called Black Nerd Comedy, where he does rants, vlogs, 80s and 90s retro stuff, reviews, music videos, and awkward talks with girls. He's a black nerd. He loves gremlins, the Smurfs, and chipmunks. You can catch him every week on his YouTube channel, Black Nerd Comedy. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you are a big fan of YouTube and celebrity vloggers such as Andre Meadows of Black Nerd Comedy, then this is the show for you. We have him on as a guest to talk about his career as a vlogger, as an interviewer. He does rants and raves and does so much with the work that he's done over the years. And I have co-hosts Kayla and Joy to join in on this great discussion. Thank you so much, Andre, for coming on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. That was one of the nicest introductions. I want to now, anytime I go somewhere, can you, can you like, do that for me? <laughs> like, hear ye, hear ye, entering the room. <laughs> <laughs> Just fanfare. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you, I appreciate that. It's great to be here. I, I, I've been following you guys on Twitter. I, I see your, your live chats and all that stuff and um, check out some of your podcasts. And so, yeah, it's great, it's great to collide. This is, like a, this is like a cool like crossover thing. This is like when, you know, two of your superheroes or <laughs> TV shows or something like finally get crossover, you know? That's awesome. So it's not going to be like a fighting situation. It's not going to be a Batman versus Superman. No, no. Okay, okay, good. We're on one team, which I don't know. Are you, are you, I don't know if you're Cap or Iron Man, but whatever side, we're on the same side. Okay, we're on the same side. Great. Yeah. <laughs> no black nerd wars. I don't, I don't think no black nerd. Yet. No black nerd on black nerd crime. Black nerd on black nerd crime. Oh my gosh. Just, just, oh my gosh. It's like comic books and pocket projectors going everywhere. <laughs> Oh my god. Someone got stabbed with a graphics calculator. <laughs> you are killing me and we haven't even started yet. Oh my god. <laughs> okay.
Okay, so Andre, I, I think it's safe to say that you were the first black nerd out there in these digital streets. <laughs> really? I, I think so. I mean, you were making a name for yourself and owning your identity as a self-proclaimed black nerd. What, what led you to black nerd comedy? Well, uh, I come from a background of uh, of acting, improv, stand up, and one of one of my first jokes that I would joke about was being a black nerd because I, you know, as you guys know, nowadays it's like people are like wearing that with pride and saying it out loud. They got into descriptions and everything else, but I don't know where everyone else came from. But from my growing up, uh, that wasn't a thing that was like prominent. Uh, right. So it was something that made me kind of stand out from some of the people that I was around, where you were sometimes too nerdy or, or too different from what people expected a black person to be, but yet still too black for some people that would, you know, have their, their stereotypes or whatever. So that's where a lot of it just stemmed from. So when I decided to have all my social media, I just kept using black nerd. So my space was black nerd. Remember my space, everybody? Uh, Friendster, <laughs> I think was black nerd. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then black nerd comedy on, on YouTube because black nerd was taken. So I, I ended up using black nerd comedy on YouTube and, it started out being just like, a, hey, I'm going to do sketches and, and comedy pieces and stuff like that, which is why I gave it that name. But over time, it just kind of progressed to to just being myself and just showcasing my opinions, my thoughts, having discussions. And so it's becoming more of just like a personal channel, as well as occasionally, you know, throwing comedy in, whether it's a full sketch or just throwing comedy in what I'm talking about. But it's just it's been a nice like way of just being more confident with my own stuff so which is which is great and yeah when i made it on the internet specifically i didn't see a whole lot of you know other or or, or anything like i could say is like oh yeah that was the other black nerds for a couple of groups i saw on facebook and stuff but it's awesome that it's it's gotten so much more <laughs> you know yeah i mean it, it, it's evolved so much over the years <laughs> it really has and and you've managed to partner up with some amazing brands. Like I saw you were with Regal Cinemas and, and others. How how have you managed to partner up with such great brands doing the work that you have through the YouTube space? And, and do you do this on a full-time basis as your this career? My, yeah, this is my full-time thing. It's doing the videos that you see on YouTube. It's going to all these different events, conventions, and, and it's working with different companies. Like with Regal, I host a show on their YouTube channel called Catching Up with Andre. So what I do on that is when a movie comes out, I kind of give a little bit of backstory. So if it's a sequel, I say what the original was about. If it's based on a comic book or TV show or, or, or it's a reboot, then I tell about what the original was so people can get a gist of what they're going in for. A lot of these things, it's a variety, but a lot of it does come from people just finding the channel or finding out about what I'm doing. And I think they see that there's you know some passion into it. So whether it's like I really love the property or I'm really speaking for people who may be happy or upset about their reboot or, or whatever else, or, you know, it's something new that I'm interested in that I keep hearing about. I want to try out. I think it's just people feel like it's uh, an authentic uh, attitude that's out there, which I think is very important with YouTube or anything, podcasting, anything else, you know, it's about being yourself. So it just ends up working out to be really cool partnerships. And what I really particularly love is that companies are willing to, you know, take these chances. I mean, you know, usually these types of companies will, make these huge campaigns and they'll try to get celebrities or they'll try to get, you know, commercial time or billboards or whatever. So for them to be like, we want to work with personalities on YouTube and we want them to do it in their way. We want, we don't want to change it up. We want them to be the way that they are, but just insert our product into it. I think that's the best relationship. 
So you mentioned kind of doing it your way. And yeah. one of the things that's great about black nerd comedy is you're very open and vocal about not necessarily being what people deem kind of the standard nerd when it comes to comic books and, and superheroes. So yeah. you like Smurfs, you love Ninja Turtles. <laughs> um, yeah. And one of the things that I find funny is one of your jokes is, is that you only read Archie comics growing up, not the standard <laughs> superhero comic books. Yeah. Um, so with the amount of obviously superhero movies that are coming out, especially this year, mm-hmm. have you decided to read those superhero comic books? And if so, which ones do you enjoy? Um, I am starting to dabble. What I've been doing is getting a lot of the like volume, you know, like sort of the, the graphic sets. But yeah, I still I love my Archie. I love my Ninja Turtles and all that kind of stuff. So I, I'm getting some more of that and I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm getting educated. I'm going to. People are, you know, will have their conversations with me. But a lot of times I do, you know, read up like when the Watchmen movie came out, I read the whole of the whole set before I saw the movie, which was probably a good idea. (laughs) 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 Every time I watch that movie, I'm like, what would I have thought if I didn't know anything about this? So but, you know, what I talk about with that is I just say that, you know, people grew up with a lot of these franchises in different ways. So like I, I did a video recently where I talked about my background with dc and, and marvel was television shows and movies back in the day you know the cartoon shows that would come on i used to watch like super friends and batman animated series and then they had the spider-man series and then the uh incredible hulk tv show lou ferrigno and all that kind of stuff so it's interesting to see especially nowadays how all of these franchises people can get into them in so many different ways and have and have their own personal connections to them and there's not a right or wrong way to it in my opinion if somebody likes, you know, Captain America because they've read every single comic that's come out about it and someone else likes it because Chris Evans turns them on or somebody likes it because that shield looks cool on a T-shirt from Target. You know, it's like whatever. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> however you want to do you, you know, someone else's way with their fandom doesn't affect how you have the fandom for it. So, Right. And obviously your brand is Black Nerd Comedy. And obviously, we're Black Girl Nerds, and this is the Black Girl Nerds podcast. I was saying the um, crossover. <laughs> it's, the super, it's the superhero crossover. So I know you've touched on it kind of briefly in some of your videos. Can you explain the importance for you to have Black at the forefront of your brand? Oh, yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> and it's funny because actually a lot lately, I people have been sort of referring to me more as my name, Andre Meadows, or sometimes I'll go Andre Black Nerd or Andre Black Nerd Meadows, which is fine too. It is very interesting. I just picked it because I was talking about being a black nerd on stand-up and I do comedy. So I was like, great, black nerd comedy is three easy words. You can say it. And I think that sometimes some people put more into it than I even put into it myself. <laughs> both positively and negatively. And some people would be like, yeah, black nerd power, whoa! And I'm like, oh, okay, uh, yeah, woo! And then I have people like, why you gotta call yourself a black nerd? What if I call myself a white nerd? I'm like, I don't know, is the YouTube name taken? Take it, I don't know, I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's just me. I mean, that's, I, I say a lot of times, you know, about being a black nerd, but I think the reason why I put that out there is to say like, Okay, there it is. You know, it's it's into your face. I've said it. The, the case has been made. In case you couldn't figure it out by looking at me, there it is in spoken word. Now let's just talk. And then everything after that just kind of proves that, hey, yeah, I may not look like what you think a black person would be, what you think a nerd should be, what you think a black nerd should be. I've had black nerds tell me that. That's not the black nerd I want. That's that Urkel old school nerd. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you model, you know? <laughs> 
it's just I'm just me, you know. I'm just Andre. And what's really cool about it is that I get people who will say like, "Wow, I would have never even thought that someone like you, because of preconceived notions, would like similar things that I like." You know, I've had other black nerds be like, "Oh man, I thought I was alone," you know, I in my surroundings. And then I see someone like you online and, and others as well. And it's like, well, now I feel like I'm not that different. Like, I feel like who I am it is legit. And, and it should be because, you know, we're all people, you know, we all have our different quirks and ways about us. So, <laughs> so yeah. Well, for, for me, your videos have become a staple in my household. Um, and my son will come to me and say, mom, look, look what he said. And I'm like, okay. especially if it's about ninja turtles and we have to watch it all the time it's so fun yes but were you prepared for how big you've become in the youtube world and as a black nerd how have you dealt with any of the backlash that you would get (laughs) backlash what do you mean (laughs) being a black nerd on the internet brings all kinds of positivity and praise not a not a one single negative thing has been said about me what are you talking about No, it's been great. I know I did not expect it at all. This was literally going to be like, oh, hey, YouTube exists. It's available. I'll do this as a fun thing on the side to just, you know, keep myself busy while I'm, you know, trying to pursue traditional acting stuff. It's like, all right, got to go try out for gangster number two because I'm totally (laughs) that part. Uh, (laughs) Everyone loves a giggling gangster. Uh, So, you know. So, uh, so it was just a way for me to express myself the way I wanted to. And yeah, to see that it's gone as far as it has is just surprising to me. And, and it, and the weird part about it is it's still going, you know, like it's not even, I'm not, I'm never at a point where I'm like, oh, this is it. I made it. But it's like, this is great so far and I'm still doing more. And it's just been awesome. I mean, I would not have expected it, but I'm definitely, I'm happy for it. But it, it's not been easy. You know, a lot of people, will sometimes see a YouTube creator kind of at the tail end or, or, or as they are getting big and they think that, oh, this guy showed up overnight or, you know, like, or they just became big. And it's like, nah, I've been doing this since 2007 and I've had, you know, good points, bad points. I had times where I almost quit. I had, you know, moments where like no one was watching my content and then it just would change when I made changes. But it's a platform where you constantly have to keep yourself educated about it and keep trying to evolve with it as much as possible because if you get kind of stuck in your ways and don't want to change when youtube changes and we know youtube changes a lot then you you know it can, it can mess you up so it's just been really cool but yeah the backlash <laughs> yeah yeah i definitely get the comments uh, luckily youtube has a word filter so there's a couple of words i filter uh so <laughs> uh, wonder what those know. are just i uh, you know just the 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 standard, uh, you know, uh, hopefully they'll go see Zootopia this past weekend. <laughs> Learn some things from those foxes and bunnies. No, it's, it's you know, you're going to get that. Everyone gets it. You know, women get it for a reason. Uh, people of color get it for a reason. White people get it for a reason. Like, it, it, everyone gets some kind of hatred. So, I, you know, but yeah, because I am who I am, obviously, you're, you know, you get that special, that special segment of YouTube comment hate or whatever. But, you know, that, that's... I can't let that stop me because that's what people want. They want attention or they want, they want to scare you to stop you. And the best thing you can do is keep going. (laughs) Your fan base has grown exponentially. Has there been an awakening moment where you have met a fan and realized you've made a difference in the person's life? I, I mean, I know you have for my son in particular, he's autistic. And so he gets super excited when he watches your videos 
So I don't know if there's been a moment where you realize like, wow, I'm really doing something here. Yeah, I, I think the the shining moment for me was when I started doing conventions more. I used to just go to like San Diego Comic-Con here, you know, in California or whatever. But the past couple of years, I've been traveling across the country to different conventions. And that's when I it really kind of sunk in. Because when you look online, you see the numbers and you see the, you know, the likes or the comments. And there's no, you know, you get the thumbnail or, or, or the, you know, the, the avatar, but there's no real face to it. And so you just can kind of almost kind of just accept it as what it is and not think much more about it. But when you go to these conventions, you meet people in person. And it's just fascinating to see that, particularly with so much that you could watch online, that someone not only watches you, but also, you know, has a feeling of like, oh, thank you for talking about this thing or, or, or thank you for making me feel like I'm not the only person that has these thoughts or, hey, I didn't agree with that, but it was fun to watch you talk about it. <laughs> like all kinds of ways. It's just, it's just very fascinating to me. And it just means a lot to me because, you know, I'm just a dude. I'm just, a, I, I'm still one guy. I do all this myself, you know, so it just really means a lot to me to do that. And now when it's getting to the point where it's like, I'm going up to people that I'm fans of and want to fan out over them, and then they're doing it back to me. <laughs> that's, that's what blows my mind. It's like, I used to watch you on TV, and now I'm getting to meet you, but now you're talking about, oh, you watch me on YouTube. I'm like, wait, what? No! <laughs> so, that's pretty cool. I, I, I got I gotta, you know, a little pat on the back on that one. I'm pretty happy about that one. <laughs> so, no, it's been, it's just been a blessing. I really, it really, really has been. I, just, I, I, I totally do appreciate anyone who's taken the time to watch because you, you do have options. So it really means a lot. Do you find that even though a lot of what you do is comedy, that it's challenging as a person of color to talk about the social constructs of race, like, for example, when you were talking about blackface and cosplay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's difficult. Um, it is. I mean, the, the biggest, I guess, controversy I had was was when I was trying to you know, talk about uh, Michael B. Jordan as Human Torch. I think we all learned that that was the least of the movie's problems. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it does get tough. And I think it gets tough because big topics like that, race, you know, religion, politics, any of that kind of stuff, you know, the best way that those conversations can have is when people want to have a legit conversation, when they will listen to one side and come from their side. And, it, and you know, and you learn, particularly with race, you just learn that sometimes it's not even people being mean or, or hate hatred. It's just it's, sometimes it's just naive, you know, like mm. I, there's even things about race that I learn in my life. And I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. But now that I hear you say it, it kind of makes sense. So I think that's what makes those conversations work best. Some, but with sometimes on the internet or, or, or sometimes even in person, as we see sometimes on the news or anything else, some people just want to have their opinion, whatever it is, and nothing you're going to say, no matter how accurate or detailed or perfect you get it, will make them think otherwise. So it just becomes, you know, a crazy thing. I mean, when I've got people who literally want me dead because I didn't like Man of Steel that much, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> It's really hard to then go, let's talk race relations, you know? <laughs> <laughs> wow. <You> know, I... <laughs> Man, we had this perfect conversation about politics. It was great. But then I mentioned the Ghostbusters trailer and then hands started getting chopped off. <laughs> <laughs> so. The struggle is real in these nerd streets for real. <laughs> 
for a nerd. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. I mean, you, when you really see it, there's there's a like nerd culture, geek culture is just becoming this huge thing. I mean, if you would have told me years ago that movies like Star Wars and Avengers and, and all these like superhero movies and fantasy movies and all this stuff would be not only popular, but like the top grossing movies of all time, yeah. you know. That's just ridiculous to see that. And it's just created this new world in a way where um, nerdom is becoming this big thing. And so it's very interesting because you do get these people who are like, well, wait, I've been a part of this for years and I've been ridiculed for it and made fun of for it. I have as well. And now it's popular. Now it's mainstream. That's not fair. And, you know, it's okay to have a little bit of anger. But at the same time, it's like that's how anything is, man. When, when things kind of get to that level, it becomes a thing where everyone gets involved. And again, it doesn't affect what your personal experience with it is. So can't get upset about that. And as much progress as we feel nerd culture has become, there's still pockets where people are still like those dorks, you know, like I go to uh, San Diego comic-con every year and it's a celebration. It's great. And there's always that one news story. That's all like these, these people living in their mom's basement. <laughs> it's like, there's always to be that, you know? Yeah. So, um, so that's why you can't, internal fight you know you got to be like all right let's just celebrate this and enjoy it because it's great it just means more collectibles in my place which is good (laughs) (laughs) i was like can not all my franchises i like as a kid keep coming back so i can keep buying stuff i'd really appreciate that just take a break (laughs) if gremlins comes back we in trouble oh no (laughs) oh man i love you some gremlins so yeah So you mentioned some of kind of the the heavy hitters that were last year, like Star Wars. Now that we're in 2016, what movies and TV shows are you most excited about and why? That I'm most excited about? Yeah, Um, sure. I'm definitely, I'm I'm excited about Dawn of Justice. I I call that, I call that uh, (laughs) the big day uh, because it's going to be, the internet's going to be a fun place on on March. Even before it, because aren't they showing? Didn't like people who went to see the trailer in theaters? Don't they get to see it a week ahead? Yeah, or something like that. There's some. Well, I mean, there's press outlets. There's some people that have seen it already. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that day. <laughs> <laughs> I'll actually be. I'll be down at WonderCon, so maybe it'll help dilute it. But I'm sure that's going to be the talk of the weekend. Civil War, uh, obviously. I'm oh excited. yeah. Mm-hmm. And call me silly, but Ninja Turtles too. Yep, <laughs> I'm ready for it, man. Rocks. We've never had Rocksteady and Bebop in a Ninja Turtles movie. They've right. always been on the show. And Krang. We've never had Krang in a Ninja Turtles movie. So you know, I got to give them credit for that to at least bring that to movie theater. So I'm, you know, I'm very optim, hopefully optimistic about that. Is there anything else? I'm trying. I'm trying to like thumb through all the stuff that's coming out this year. Suicide Squad. No. Yes, Suicide Squad. I'm curious. I'm just that's the I think DC in general I'm just curious about because this is kind of their year of yeah. being like we're starting our, our our cinematic universe. So, you know, Batman v Superman and Suicide Squad. There's going to I think there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on those two movies, probably more scrutiny than even they deserve just because there's going to be that whole thing of like are they going to take over Marvel cuz god forbid two comic franchises in theaters <laughs> Can't have that. It's like it's like the token comic franchise in the theater. <laughs> like, you know, like, like at white parties, you can only have one black guy at the party. At the, like in not, not another teen movie. With, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best scene. 
There can only be one, the Highlander syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> That's whack. Uh, so, yeah, I'm curious to see what this start's going to be, man, because it's it's going to be fun. I'm I'm excited about it more than people think I am, you know, but uh, I'm I'm curious to see what happens with that. And then, you know, whatever Nicholas Sparks movie or you know, young oh, adult college <laughs> is another 80s cartoon being turned into. Are we getting another gym this year? Do we get another? Oh, God. Is, God, there, no. Like, Denver, the last dinosaur or something like that. <laughs> Denver, the last dinosaur. It's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time. I heard that they're bringing back Eureka's. Uh, I've never been able to say Eureka's, it right. Uh, Eureka's Castle. Castle. And I heard they were bringing it back for the kids on Nick Jr. And I'm like, I am so there for that. And I am 26 years old. Wow. That was a joint. <laughs> Eureka's Castle with like Batley and all that? Yes. I always thought Batley was kind of a black nerd too. That, that bat- <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I heard it from the bottom. He's just always the fly in and bump into something like, I meant to do that. <laughs> like, you, you nerd. <laughs> you bat nerd. <laughs> His cast. Well, I know Legends of the Hidden Temple, they're making that into a movie. Oh, they yeah. are. Yeah, Legends of the Hidden Temple, they're making a movie out of that. But a, a TV movie, not not big screen. But I didn't know about Eureka's Castle. That's crazy. So many reboots, man. Ugh. So many. So many. Arnold. What's the yeah, other? Arnold's coming. Well, Hey Arnold's interesting because the series, I think that's supposed to like close up the series. So I think that's what that's doing. But yeah, it's. It's just insane. It's crazy that like what what is going to be the nostalgia for like twenty years from now if everything is a reboot or what's going to get rebooted in twenty years? You know, is it going to be like a CGI uh, or I don't know a reboot of SpongeBob or something? I don't know. I'm trying to think of what will be the new thing. They're but, yeah. rebooting everything. They're so lazy. I mean, I think I had saw something yesterday. Jamie Lee Curtis is being cast in the Exorcist TV series. They're rebooting that and. I thought it was Gina Davis. Did they do Oh, no, her? Gina Davis, yes. Who did I say? Who? Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. She's only yeah. allowed to do Halloween. Oh, yeah. She, she's she's in the Scream Queens, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's a lot. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know, you, it's particularly if you go online, you just see all these quizzes and, and websites. Oh, remember the 90s? Things are so great for the 90s and stuff. And it's just like... Yeah, but some things worked in the '90s <laughs> that don't really work today. Or you were you liked them when you were a kid then, but then when you watch it now, it's like oh. So I of course have fun with all of it. I'm I'm ready to you know stomp on people's childhoods like crazy. It's like sometimes some truth has to be put out there. <laughs> it's like be careful what you wish for, everybody. <laughs> Just it. And that's what and that's Jim and the Hologram. <laughs> Oh God! Don't bring up Jim and the Holograms. It just—I'm sorry, man. It hurts. Yeah. It's painful. It's funny because people have been joking that I've been like a little bit more nicer to movies, and I'm like, well, you know what? I saw Fantastic Four, Jim and the Holograms, and Alvin and the Chipmunks: The Road Chip pretty much within a <laughs> two-month span. After that, any movie's good. Like you just—you <laughs> just numb at that point where you're just like, people are talking and showing emotion. Best movie ever, you know. <laughs> so. All right, I'm in the minority about Fantastic Four. I'm one of the very few people that actually liked Fantastic Four, but oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm yeah. gonna put myself <laughs> I'm gonna put myself kind of in that category. I didn't hate it, 
I didn't hate it either. The beginning what? was, it was just too long, and, and the beginning actually was revving up to something that didn't happen, but the revving up actually wasn't terrible. Yeah. No, I agree. Well, I think, I literally told people the best way to experience that movie is watch it until it says uh, one year later, and you're good. And then, like, yep. after that. Yeah. After that, it just it just things happen. But yeah, I I don't think it was as bad as like some of the hate towards it. I just it was, but it was clearly a movie you could see meddling got involved. It was like yeah. clearly there was some vision there, and then you know studio heads, which a lot of people forget about that. Like you, we always want to blame the actors, the writers, the directors. Right. Well, sometimes we forget, man. Them people in that office with them big cigars. They just come in and just can muck things up so right. badly, and and that's you know it's it's a it's a it's really a top level down approach sometimes to try to get things fixed as well as a getting you know the right people in the right parts. But yeah, man, the studio a good movie can easily be destroyed by a studio if if the mucking happens. <laughs> the re I think the reshoots hurt the movie too because it did yeah. feel like it was three separate movies and it was jarring, but. I think the rage, the rage machine behind Fantastic Four, even before the movie came out, was oh, yeah. way, way overrated. And that's why I was just like, guys, it really wasn't that bad. Yeah, that's that's definitely the new the new Internet is is the sort of the outrage of just, you know, we, we hate or love something based on as little information we have about it as possible. And that's one of the things I try to do my best with every once in a while. I slip. But for the most part, with like when I do my reviews, I'll say I'll give you the good, the bad, and the nerdy because no matter what kind of movie I'm watching, I want to point out like here's what's good about it, here's where it had concern or needs improvement. And I know that's not what sometimes some people want; they just want like I'm so angry, <laughs> <laughs> people will burn, you know. It's just not right. But, but you guys know there's just there's a lot of things going on in the world, and so it's just like I I can only get worked up so much about things I can't control and with a movie it's just like hey or TV shows like yeah there's some parts I didn't like but what I've enjoyed more is when I have fun with it like my review of the road chip is one of my favorite videos ever because I could have easily came in and just been like I hate this movie but just explaining how ridiculous it was when you're seeing Alvin the Chipmunks in New Orleans dancing singing Uptown Monk with a big band and one of the characters gets drunk and then wakes up in a bed with two other dudes, and this is an <laughs> you're just like, okay, wasn't expecting that from the chipmunks, but all right, <laughs> you know, like that was more fun for me to just describe that than to you know give like a, I'm angry mad about this movie sort of feel, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> exactly. I always derail to chipmunks. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> Any question you ask me is going to somehow get to Alvin and the Chipmunks the road ship, regardless of what you ask. <laughs> That's why I started my YouTube channel to begin with, because I figured one day there'd be a movie like Alvin and the Chipmunks the road ship that I'll be talking about online. Thank you. 20th Century Fox. Thanks for giving up Star Wars to Disney. <laughs> road ship instead. <laughs> Oh my god, this is so much fun. I'm glad. I'm, I was about to say, and Andre was never invited again. <laughs> After he mentioned the chipmunks, it was a wrap. It's all downhill from there. We don't do any podcasts with the mention of chipmunks on this show. Sorry, you cannot come back. One year later. <laughs> 
Andre, before you go, can you let us know where we can find you on the interwebs and give us all your social media shout outs? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you can find me on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Black Nerd Comedy. Actually, uh, you can, you're the first I get to say this to. You get an exclusive. You can now go to my channel if you do youtube.com slash Andre. So if you don't like typing more letters, uh, <laughs> there you go. You can find me on Twitter at Black Nerd, on Instagram at Black Nerd, and on Facebook, Black Nerd Comedy. And I think that's all of them. And if my MySpace is still up, uh, go see that too. <laughs> you still have a MySpace? It might still be. That. I don't know. I never shut it down. So it, that's true. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, good point. I can have so many friend requests. I don't even. Oh, so many bands. So. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on our show. You, you got to come back again. You... I would love to come back. Just keep me posted. I, I'm totally down. You, you guys are great. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And, and really, like, I'm so happy for what what you all are doing. Continue with the success. It's it's amazing. We we definitely need more, you know, voices out there like this. So I I, I just I appreciate it. 